like starting with the bombshell as opposed to ending on Top Gear. Um, I just, I wasn't going to say this, but I really feel like Britney Spears is this thing. Has anyone else ever had this? And you just want to be like, oh, baby, baby. I've got the hair, right? And funny story, I've met Britney Spears once and she complimented my hair. She's, it's probably because I don't dye it and she's a bit jealous of that. But I, you won't see me in the outfits. It's okay, it's okay. So for those of you I know, most of you, have, I'm sure I've met most of you. I'm Harriet, as Jerry said. I'm an engineer. I've just finished my PhD. So thanks for journeying with me along that long road of that. Um, and uh, Jonathan and I moved here about three years ago. Um, is that okay? Okay, I'm being an idiot. Sweet babe. Not, not very good, Brittany. Um, and you, so you usually see me here singing, hiding behind a, gu a guitar with a huge band so that when I make mistakes, I'm covered and it's fine. Well, here, here I'm, I feel very lonely and vulnerable here, so look after me. Um, over the summer, we're going to look in both the morning and the evening services at a kind of a series of around the kings and prophets. So really good Old Testament stuff. And there are so many amazing stories in the Old Testament. Um, and so I look forward to the rest of the summer hearing and, and learning through those stories. Today, we're going to look at the story of Elisha and Naaman. So Elisha was a prophet living in Samaria, uh, which is in the kingdom of Israel. His story starts towards the end of 1 Kings when he was called by Elijah to be a prophet of the Lord. And it's quite amazing. Elijah kind of rocks up and, and says, you know, come, come be a prophet. And Elisha just drops everything, completely drops everything and just commits himself wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to the Lord. He prophesied over many situations, performed many miracles. It's an incredible life story if you want to read through it. And in 2 Kings 5, which we're going to read through, so grab your iPhones, your iPads, or all Bibles at the side. Um, we're going to read through 2 Kings 5, where Elisha heals the commander of the Aram army on the mantle, Naaman, the mantle of Naaman. Naaman was a great respected man because he won loads of victories with his army. Um, he was effectively the number two in Aram, which is what we know as modern-day Syria now. Um, so we're going to read from the beginning of, of 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had a donkey. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet called in tomorrow, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. So here, Naaman displays just an incredible humility. He's, despite working for the king, despite being royally connected and so important and powerful, he's listening to the serve, his wife's servant, which I think is an amazing show of humility. Under his military uniform, he's got this leprosy, skin disease, which is something that was people were ostracized from society in those days. You put on that military uniform, that badge of honor, that badge of power to hide that vulnerability that you had. So carrying on from verse five, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. 
The letter that he took from the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So here's where Naaman's kind of got a bit confused and uh, maybe forgotten a little bit about what actually God told him to do. He's got to, you know, he works in high places. He's got all this money. He's very wealthy. But he's, so he wants to work in these circles or with these currencies. I think his royal connections and his wealth, you know, considering he took 20 kilos of gold and 340 kilos of silver, you know, he thought that could buy his problem out. But we all know that God doesn't work like that. So carrying on from verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Ah, oh my God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariot. He's a smart guy and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of this leprosy. Or not a banner or Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went off in a rage. So here we see Norman not really best pleased about this whole miracle thing and how God might do these miracle things. He wants it to go his way. He's got his plan of how God's going to do it. He, he, he saw Elisha and he was like, I, I think Elisha's going to come out and he's going to bring down all this fire and do awesome things and be really boom, because I'm great, and God is, does things like that, and you know, it's the wrong people, it's the wrong instructions, the wrong technique used for healing, the wrong river, you know, none of this is going how Norman wanted it to go. So carrying on, verse 13, just for the last bit, Norman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a donkey. Again, Naaman is angry, 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 really mad. And then a servant again comes to him and says, hey, man, like God's trying to do this way. Help out it. Which I think is incredible. Isn't that incredible? And so he decides to listen to Elisha and he becomes healed and heads down to the river and his obedience, although delayed somewhat and kind of gone around a bit of a wider loop than he could have, leads to blessing and he's healed. I grew up in an interesting family setting. My father left my mom, my sister and I when I was about two. And from a young age, I could see the burdens and the, and the struggles and the difficulties that that left my mom and the challenge on us. And, and me and my sister, we bickered our lot. Still do. <laughs> we spend longer than 24 hours together. You know, we need to have some time. And um, I, I, I spent a lot of my younger life seeing what my mother was going through and trying to be the least burden that I could bear. 
try and kind of make her proud of him to get her lashes a bit easier. I grew up into the very capable girl, and anything I put my mind to, I would make sure that I would achieve. I would plan meticulously, and no matter what cost to me, I just wanted to make my mom proud, and I just wanted to reduce her struggles, her burdens. By the time I left school and went to university, I was an international athlete. I had a sports and an academic scholarship to university. I was in control of everything. I had everything planned out. I was in charge and organized everything. But despite all of this that I was achieving, I just was never really happy inside. When I met Jonathan in the first year of, of university, I saw in him a happiness, a peace, a contentment that I knew was missing. And, you know, despite the grades I had and despite the sporting medals that I had, I knew that I didn't need them. So, inevitably, <laughs> I became a Christian. I filled that Jesus-shaped hole. And then, but looking back, so that was 12 years ago. Since then, I kind of, I've realized it wasn't an immediate transition from unloved to loved, from confused to sore, from lost to found. It's taken me a really long time to let go of being in control, to move from my plans to God's plans, to move from being obedient to myself and how I think things should go, like Narnia, things should go a certain way, and I used to do that all the time, to moving from that place into a place where I just follow God and I go from servant to the life I should have driven and that brought purpose. And uh, so drawing on Norman's story and I want to talk, and, and some of my own, I want to talk today about having an obedient heart. We see in these passages, passages of scripture that Norman's doing great in life. He's successful, he's loved, he's powerful. And with this shameful thing he has, he's just humble enough to listen to a, a servant boy. And he heads off to his boss in obedience and believing the servant girl that he can be great. He then gets distracted by some of the material things and some of the connections and loses sight of what God said for him to do. When he removes his privilege and his expectations and follows what God wants, he's directed to greatness. He ends up in a place of greatness. And I think this story shows us two situations or two times when we need to remember to be obedient, we need to have an obedient heart. First up, I think we need to, more obvious, we need to be obedient when things need to change and when God has spoken and said, that's it, go, go, deliver. You know, whether we need healing for something, whether we are hiding a vulnerability like leprosy under our military uniforms, whether we don't know what our next step in our career is or whether we're sinning and we need to stop and God has spoken and said, you need to have an obedient heart to when God speaks into whatever situation we're facing, we need to obediently listen. We need to listen to the servant girl instead of the fool and the servant to the life that God has called us away. So after becoming a Christian, as I said, I, I struggled to give God control. I was obedient in some things. Don't, you know, don't judge me too much. <laughs> I've got some things right. But it was mostly when I'd exhausted all other options, all, all of my other plans, and I'd kind of run out of options. And then I'd say, oh, God, how's it going? Do you want to show me, like, left or right? And he'd go, okay, I'll give you your left and right. Okay, that's much better. <laughs> I'm terrible at my left and right. 
um, go that way, and um, then I'd kind of turn and then do my own little plans down the stage and uh, be more than happy, and then reach the next crossroads, and the same thing would happen again. Um, and so, but everything was kind of going right. Everything was going amazing. So, so those times were good. But there were obviously times when it wasn't so great. Early last year, things really, really weren't great. Um, I was under, under a lot of pressure at work, and things, it, my family life was, was terrible, dire. Things, things just were spiraling out of control. Without knowing it at the time, I, and, and kind of with hindsight, I was really losing the struggle of trying to balance my agenda and what God wanted me to do. And I really needed to let God be God and be obedient to him. It all kind of came to a climax one night in February when it got really bad and I stayed up all night crying and shouting at God. It, things were just falling apart and I couldn't understand where he was. I couldn't understand why my plans weren't working and I just felt like I'd totally lost control and I'd run out of options and was drowning and I just couldn't see a way through. In the early hours, um, I felt a voice, a still quiet voice say to me, when there is nothing else, I'm still there for you. And honestly, I, I don't think I'd ever really heard that. And I mean, heard it and hear, and understood what that meant. I'd grown up thinking that I was only loved because I was Jesus. So I would kind of keep it inside. I didn't think I was worthy of being loved if I didn't have everything sorted. And so this night really broke something and came to almost instantly. Suddenly, I think, you know, the first time I realized that nothing mattered except God trusting me. My circumstances, my performance, my academic grades, my sporting medals, nothing mattered more than his gracious, beautiful, sacrificial, perfect love. I think that was the first time that I actually let go of the reins. I realized that I can't run a universe perfectly. So I really let God do it. I, really, I can't even run my own life, let alone the universe. You know, I, I really needed to change my heart and give him one bit, focus on his, his will, his week, not mine. I had a great week with God that, the week after that night. And um, you know, really loved, felt so free. I didn't have the burdens of the world on my shoulders anymore. But a week later, I got the worst news that I think a person could hear. I, it, my world shattered around me. It, nothing, it, it was just terrible. <laughs> Take my word for it. But actually, it didn't matter because God still loved me. As long as I had that one thing, when there's nothing else, he loves you. I can't control everything that happens to me, but I can trust and be obedient in the path that God has taken me on. It was, you know, I, I learned that night that I need to be obedient when God speaks and go for go to Elijah and then to the river. Not to make my own plans and carve it up like Naaman did. So the first, the first instance, we need to be obedient when God speaks to us. The second situation in which we need to be obedient is, and, and this one's possibly harder, is in the waiting. Whilst 
waiting for God to speak into a situation that needs to change. It can be excruciatingly painful. I'm sure everybody is remembering a time when they were waiting for God to speak. And we don't know from the scripture how long Naaman waited to hear from God about his healing. But we do know that being obedient in that time during the silence is so important. I, I learned a lot, as I've said, about being obedient last year. And towards the end of the year, I felt incredibly blessed and my PhD was coming together and a new crossroads, a new kind of opportunity was, was approaching. Where, where next, God? I applied to various jobs and really felt God saying, I'm going to give you this job, this, certain, this specific job. And it was completely left field, some, not in Harriet, Harriet, everything is planned out and I know where I'm going to be in 50 years stone plan. But I was like, you know, in, with my newfound obedience skills, <laughs> said, okay, God, I, I'm going to do this. And I wholeheartedly pursued this left field job. I said no to other job offers. I said no to other interviews. And in faith, of course, because he's awesome, he gave me this job. And uh, I feel, well, very recently I've worked out why he gave me that job. But at the time, I had no idea why, where it was going to go, where it was going to lead me. Um, but I just had to let God be God and let him um, execute on the dream. <laughs> so I started the job just before Christmas last year. And very quickly realized that my boss was not a very nice looking person. The team being told that I was rubbish at my job and everybody that I worked with being told by him that I was rubbish at my job and all the other bullying behaviors that I've experienced, I was pretty desperate really. I wanted to start take control again or at least knock on some doors, you know, and see whether God was going to open them. Uh, I applied for jobs that I really wanted. I applied for jobs that I really didn't want. I applied for jobs that I would normally just walk straight into, and nothing moved. God would not speak. He would not change the circumstance for me. Um, I was really struggling to cope with not being in control of my exit strategy, not being in charge. And it's tacit, but I really thought God was forgotten by me. I really thought he didn't care. painful months later, <laughs> I received a job offer that I wasn't really excited about, <laughs> but it was the only option I had, and it was better than what I was in at the moment, so I was like, I, I God is telling me I'm starting to believe, I couldn't bear it anymore. As I was walking to hand my notice in, I received an email, yay, God's speaking, and I had received an interview for an incredible opportunity that was when I applied for it, I was like, oh my gosh. But I could only apply for this job because of the job I was in for the exact six months that I was in there. Hi, just in case. Bit late, God, but you know, we can be friends. I start that dream, incredible job in two weeks' time, which is incredible. But what is more incredible, reflecting back, is the second massive lesson in obedience that I've learned. I've learned to be obedient in the waiting, pulling my hair out whilst in a place I know God has put me is not okay. It shows a lack of trust, a lack of faith in him. And of course, it's, it's human and it's not that we all do it and we shouldn't, but we'll do it and I'll do it again. But my God has promised me more 
that if I focus on being obedient to him in what he has for me, where he has it for me, and when he has it for me. Being obedient is what, where, and when I find him, which is hard (laughs) sometimes. Then he will deliver us into greater blessings. We've got to be obedient in the waiting. We have to hold firm to our hope and our faith that God will deliver. He will do his perfect thing. He will get the stars aligned and he will deliver us into greater blessings. Or in Naaman's case, deliver us into healing. In Habakkuk 2, it says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. And it will certainly come and will not delay. So we need to be obedient when God speaks. We need to be obedient when he doesn't (laughs) in the waiting until he does. And uh, there are a couple of points I think I want to make about obedience. The first one's really important, and it's in every song we sang this morning, and it's in every testimony that we heard from people coming back from Focus, is that obedience is not about your salvation. No matter what, you are a child of God, and you are loved deeply, deeply that will not change. That will not change. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace you are saved by faith, through faith, not by works. And it's so important to remember that if you fail, get back up again and get it right again. That is so important to remember that if you get it wrong again and again and again, please just get back up again. It's helpful. And the second point I want to make about obedience is that it's hard and easy. It's hard, no, impossible, to to not sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all step out of obedience when we're twelve and ready, when we're vulnerable to tempt us to step out of his presence. But God is always there with unlimited grace, waiting for you to come back. Whilst it's hard, obedience actually makes it easier in the long run. It's a shortcut. It saves you going on that round journey that Naaman did from his servant to the king of Aram to the king of Israel to Elisha, away angry to another servant, to a, back, and then back to the Jordan, and finally <laughs> to the greater blessing that he had. You can shortcut all of that. It saves you that period of pulling your hair out in despair and the distress and, uh, distress and confusion and the loneliness that you feel in that waiting for God to speak. We're called to obey the Ten Commandments, and that can be really hard sometimes, but they're there to make things easier. They are there because they're good for us. They protect us, and they protect those around us. They're hard, but in the long term, it makes everything easier. So obedience is is hard and easy, and because of this, uh, I want us to spend some time now reflecting and, and checking our hearts where we are, where we are with obedience. Um, yeah. I want us to, to reflect and think about what we're not being obedient to and where we, where we aren't trusting God. Perhaps it's something you know you're getting wrong and God has spoken into it, but it's been too hard or it's too difficult and you're too tired. Perhaps you're waiting for God to move, waiting for him to do something. You just really need to change your challenge really needs God's movement and you're struggling to be obedient when you're waiting. Perhaps you're being really 
need an obedience to making good decisions that we can count on really well. I'm going to ask the band to to come up and, and play some music to help our hearts and minds focus on God. And I want us to take some time, as I said, to, to reflect and pray. What, what is God prompting you about? Where's, where's your heart? Where's your obedient heart? There, there'll be people down at the front at the side um, who would love to pray with you, who would love to encourage you, um, because we're all in this together. It's, it's hard. <laughs> we want to we take those steps up, and we want to be there for you. Um, so, so let's Father God, thank you so much that you came to save us. Jesus, you are incredible. Lord, your grace covers everything, and we are so grateful, and we love you so much. Lord, I pray that you speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, fill us. Prompt us where where we could do better. Prompt us where we're not. us in, in, in what we're doing. Lord, speak to us about where we are with you and where we can take shortcuts. We want to be on your path. We want to be on your ways. We want to be on your route. We want to take the easy path. We want to be in those places of blessing.